Hello, and welcome to Game Boys, our gay bi-weekly podcast where we translate nerd culture, and let's be honest, we always have fun. Good job, Matt. Remember when I couldn't do this shit? Remember when I couldn't speak for the fucking life of me? I remember the shocked look on your face the first time I just whipped this out of nowhere. Yeah, I still reminisce about that time when we could just whip this out of nowhere. Happy Valentine's Day! Happy Valentine's Day plus a week. Yes, because this is clearly not Valentine's Day, but, you know, we're gonna tell everyone that Happy Valentine's Day, this capitalistic bullshit holiday that no one gives a shit about, and everyone that's a part of it and participates in it, indirectly or directly, is just awful, or feels awful, because no one that is in a relationship, and that's single, just give everyone grief that's in relationship, and everyone in relationships feel the need to have to do the thing, and then they feel awful because the other people are like, why are they doing this thing? Oh, why are you the cynical one? I'm actually, I've warmed up to Valentine's Day over the years, honestly. Was it because when we had our first long distance Valentine's Day and I kind of gave you a guilt ridden text of like, I kind of waited all day to get a Facebook post from you and I didn't get one and I feel sad. Oh, you did that? I did that. Oh boy. And I didn't make one this year. Sorry. It's fine. Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Speaking of fine, <laughs> do you want to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp? Quantum Mania. Yeah, we should go see that. Because we did. Wait, we saw that? Yes. Doesn't... I, I remember the trailer for yes. it. Yes. Okay. That's... That's what? what we saw last night. What happened? Did anything happen? A lot of Marvel happened. Okay. Yeah. What'd you think? <laughs> so... I thought this was a fine movie. I didn't think it was bad by any means. I didn't think it was a masterpiece for sure. It was fine. It was a Marvel movie. And, you know, at that point, I think we are at a point in our society where it's like, yes, we go and see these movies and enjoy them. And then we just forget about them until the next big Avengers movie, which we haven't had in a very long time, which maybe is the reason why we just don't feel the need to care a whole lot because we're not watching the main story anymore we're watching the side quests true yeah and i don't need another avengers anytime soon you know when the avengers comes together it you want it to feel like the culmination of lining up all your your favorite action heroes all your figurines you know and and getting them to to fight and be cool together and right now that roster doesn't exist there's nobody that i'm gonna want to see like a camera spin around in a circle as they fly into position and do their pose i mean i just don't know what's going to happen and because there still really doesn't seem to be much of a direction if anything this movie does foundationalize that direction with the multiverse-ness I mean, granted, yes, it's had hints of it, but we do have our final hints? concrete... Okay. <sighs> we have our concrete villain now. Yes, sort of. Or is he? Hard to say. As you said, we kept, kept kicking the Kang down the road. I cannot believe I said that organically. I wish I'd thought of it genuinely, because it was that bad, and it, you know, the psychic damage goes inward when you don't think of them. I personally, I don't think that Kang was bad as a performance or anything during this movie. I think that a lot of it was subverted by his first 
actual debut being that of an Ant-Man film rather than an Avenger or literally anything else. But this wasn't his first debut, Matt. But this was his first debut as Kang, not as the one, the one, one who, who remains. The one who remains, yes. Yes, except they are the same person. They might be variants of the same person, but it's still... I don't know. I liked the Loki-Kang a lot better. Oh, I certainly did too. I think that this one was certainly acted more ruthless. Uh, sure, yeah. If that's, if that's your only quality in a villain, sure, that's great. Yes, he does have to follow up with some actions, which this movie severely uh, subverted my expectations for uh, the lack of teeth it had. Yeah, I mean, what are the stakes here? Like, yeah, he's gonna kill everyone or something, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting something after all the headlines were like, oh, this is the Avengers level threat. Kang is the next Thanos, and I'm just like, uh, Jonathan Majors is great. He's a great actor. He's the one thing keeping this character in any relevancy, honestly. For sure. Yeah, beautiful performance in that one-dimensional villain role, yes. So yeah, it was fine. I didn't, I did not hate this movie. No. It's just, it, it's a bit of a weird thing for Marvel movies just to kind of just be like, yeah, that's what I paid for. And, you know, back in the day, it's like, yeah, that's what I paid for. But man, there were some really cool moments. Right. And lately I've been more interested in the character stuff going on in the background, which there was some of this. You know, the family dynamics were great. Family dynamics were great, except, you know, I think Scott almost fell into the same pitfall that... You know, someone like Jon Snow did, where his character was just, I'm going to repeat the same line over uh, and over again. Yes. And in this case, it was just Paul Rudd screaming, Cassie, ten times in yeah, a row. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. He's a good dad, I guess. That, that's his story. Cassie was great, I'll say that much. Yeah, I like her. I'm excited for Young Avengers when that ever happens, but I guess we're still introducing the band. Plus, this lady has gone from a very far uh, movie career of her in the Pokemon Detective Pikachu movie from elevating herself from the status of, I'm going to tell everyone to have their Pokemon not breathe in the smoke, even though that's something really stupid to just be telling people. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess you gotta try, right? I guess. But, yeah, the actress, she's good. She did a fine job in this, and I look forward to seeing more of her. Yes, very much. Yeah, I just wish there had been some, some stakes that I cared about in this movie. I think the one thing is, this is supposed to be just another spectacle. Yeah. And all the spectacle, every single spectacle was in the trailer. Yes. So when you opened up with, I remember we saw the trailer, you are right, because that's all the movie was. It mm. was just mm -hmm. the trailer. Like, almost every single pivotal moment in that movie is in the trailer. Yeah. Except for the critical pivotal moments that are clearly spoilers. But there are scenes literally like seconds before and after those yeah. spoilers that are in the trailer, which just felt like places that Marvel shouldn't and never went to in the past with trailers. Mm. They have made fucking fake frames in trailers to throw people off. So this just feels like a very odd job. Jokes as well. A lot yeah. Of the, a lot of the best jokes in the film were in the trailer. 
Yeah. Yeah. They Not were... uh, the best joke, which was delivered by one William Jackson Harper of <laughs> cheaty fame from The Good Place, who was phenomenal. For the five minutes you have in yeah. screen time. But yeah. yes. <laughs> Made the whole film worth it for me. Your face lit up when you saw him on screen. Oh, yes. And I totally forgot he was in this movie. But yeah, like, it's starting to really, you know, it feels like the we're going to pull this lever and we're going to generate the connecting tissue to another MCU property, but use it as a joke. Kang had mentioned something like, I don't know, which Avenger are you? Are you the one with the hammer? And Scott goes, I'm not the same one, but we have the same body type. So I could see where you mistaken that pause. Yeah, pause. For and I was just like, hmm, we need to stop this. Yeah, uh, all of the Marvel films do seem to be converging at the same tone where, you know, people just have a little bit of sarcastic sass or... I don't know, I've heard it described as the the Whedon-esque Buffy style of comedy, where, you know, people just always throw in one line of levity here and there just to to wake you up a little bit. I mean, that's fine. I just, I wish it was done in a better way. You know, it, eh, I don't know. It, it just, it, it needs to be done differently. But, you know, when we get to the one news story I want to talk about today... We'll probably talk about that a bit more, but yes. is there anything else you would like to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp? Can we talk about the secondary villain? I feel like that was in the trailer. MODOK is in the trailer, but we don't know anything about MODOK specifically. He looks... It's so weird. He looks really fucking cool when he has the mask on. Can I say that? Yes. Okay. He does not look really fucking cool when he takes the mask off. Have you seen Modoc ever? I get it, I get it. I mean, the face of Bo in Doctor Who. That's basically what Modoc could have looked like. And it could have been fine. I, you know, every time I saw the, the non-masked face, I thought to myself, this is bad CGI. It's this is bad CGI. Terrible CGI. But then I kept looking at it and went, no... This is just a bad design. Well, okay. Yes. It it translates better in illustration, I'm sure. It does. You, there's a reason that he's not like... He's a secondary villain. He's not going to headline a villain role anytime soon. Yeah. He was fine. There was... If anything, he became the butt of a lot of jokes, which was kind of fun. Yeah, and I guess... It's, again, it's that style of humor, which I think Ant-Man has more right to than any of the other Marvel movies at this point, except for maybe Thor when they can stick the landing. Yes, but yeah. yeah. I, I think that's about that's about it. Yeah, uh, ultimately this was one of the more forgettable Marvel films in a long time for me. It feels like nothing of significance happened in this entire movie. I feel like Black Panther Wakanda Forever was the last significant one, and before that... It's like Multiverse of Madness, which I think is literally just skipping Thor Love and Thunder, mm. which is sad because that one had so much promise and it just, it became so forgettable to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'll just have the hope for Guardians 3, which I, I can't, I, I can't, I kind of want that to be the one that's just like, yes, this is what Marvel movies used to be. It's going to be. I have uh, the absolute utmost faith in James Gunn to to bring this home and especially since it is like the last one and it doesn't you know Star-Lord will probably continue 
maybe Gamora, but we are probably saying goodbye to most of that cast. We're probably saying goodbye to a lot of that, especially considering Dave Bautista's done with yeah. the MCU now. And that's fine. Like, these actors should move on. Yes. Please move on, Chris Pratt. It is, it's always a thing in comics in general. I, I want to see them retire, die, something. Evolve. Rather than just be stuck in this endless cycle of conflict, it just starts to feel like the universe is hopeless. Well, that's an interesting thing, because that is kind of like what this movie was talking about. Oh, yes, I'm sure. That is that is buried somewhere in, in Kang's motivations. They haven't explicitly well, said that yet. But. no. The whole motivation about Cassie saying, you know, Ant-Man, Scott, Dad, you should be doing things. You shouldn't just be settling down. Oh, right. There's still people suffering. There's still there's still things to do. So, yeah, this is clearly, like, this is something that needs to happen. Otherwise, like, they're just going to suffer for the rest of their lives. I suppose. But, I mean, they are going to suffer for the rest of their lives. That's how comics work. There's one Avengers movie, and then there's the next Avengers movie. And if you don't die in that one, you'll die in the next one. Until the universe is rebooted. Yeah. Which will happen in five, six years. I mean, okay, Steve got out okay. Um, By completely shirking his responsibilities and traveling somewhere no one could question him. It's interesting, because I'm interested to see what they do with Joe Biden and Captain America someday. What? He looks like Joe Biden by the end of Endgame. Okay, I can kind of see that. (laughs) Dear God. The the conspiracy theorist in me wonders if that was intentional. If there was like... No, there's absolutely no fucking way. You were asking about Democrat lobbying the other day, Matt? (laughs) There's absolutely no fucking way. (laughs) Anyways, um... Would you like to talk about our next uh, thing that we've done Which recently? shares something in common, visually, with with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, yes. I am now really l- not sure where you're going with this, and you should probably lead the charge on this then. Okay, so both of them ha- are effectively about people going to the Wilds, where there are okay. a bunch of crazy, dangerous animals... And weirdo people. And I've heard Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania being compared to, like, Marvel's Star Wars for that aspect of it. And I think that's leaning into the more social aspects of it. But uh, Vox Machina Season 2's foray into the Feywilds, absolutely stunning visually, uh, just with how it is rendered and the ideas for the types of things that you encounter there. Yes, picking up in the middle of the season where Wes is currently talking about. Anyway, sorry. We we have watched season two of The Legends of Vox Machina. Yes. Where we pick up immediately after season one when uh, the Chroma Conclave has begun their assault on uh, the... uh, I am now forgetting the city's name. Amon, yes. Um, And they must now find the various vestiges of divergence. To help them in defeating the Chroma Conclave. And if any of that sounds like hoity-toity fantasy talk, there's, Correct. A bunch, there's a bunch of fucking dragons that want a bunch of fucking loot, so you need to find some fucking magic items and kill them. It's Papa's Start Your Own D&D Campaign 101. Yeah, surprisingly. It, like, it's 
It's so interesting about Campaign 1 that it was so, like, boilerplate fantasy D&D, and I think that is why it worked and why it's, in my opinion, so much more popular than Campaigns 2 and 3 so far. How fucking dare you? I, you know, there's... Bite your tongue, mister! I, I don't think it is super controversial to say that Vox Machina is the most well-known of the three. That's fair, considering we have an Amazon television show that has brought in people that haven't watched the actual play. Yes. But also, I don't know, Mighty Nine is still my favorite one out of the three. God knows what's going to happen with uh, Hell's Bells. Yes. Wait, Bells, Hell's. Bells, Hell's, yes. Stupid book series. And, yeah, because that's going to fucking explode in two weeks' time when uh, they return from their mini-break. Yep. But yeah, season two. Wesley, what did you think of season two of Legends of Vox Machina? Bigger than the first? Arguably better than the first? Uh, Yeah, if you loved season one, you're going to get a lot more of the same. And I would go further and say if you liked the actual play, you'll like this even more. I feel like they... They really focus on making sure that everyone receives their moment in the sun Mm, episode. mm -hmm. And, you know, chronicles and campaigns and when you run them, they always have a character arc. Like, this is is Percy's backstory. We're going to uh, Whitestone to go defeat the Briarwoods. Like, that, that was Percy's story. Yeah. This allowed them to really delve into a lot of the other characters, pull some story beats and bring some forward and push some back and allow everyone to basically have like their own story that can be theirs throughout the season. I do think it was mainly Grog's story this time, though. I would say that that's a decent comment to make. Like, they they definitely keep checking in with the other characters' stories. And there's a lot of movement in individual characters' stories. But this was like, okay, Grog, beginning, middle, and end. I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. I think it's just, a, it's an ensemble cast. That's yeah. what's holding it back from it being an individual character's story or season. I There are things that Grog does throughout the season that just have no relevancy to other portions of the story. Probably. I don't really know what the story is from here. Uh, from the point where we leave off with? Yeah. It's just defeating the Chroma Conclave. Okay. Yeah. Because it's probably, it's probably good to say that this is not, season two is not going to finish the second arc. It's not going to finish the Chroma Conclave arc. I believe it's going to just do part one and then part two is going to be season three. So we will see what happens when it returns next year. Hopefully. Yeah. It's weird. You can't estimate these things because... They'll put out a video of the characters sitting in a diner complaining about how hard it is to animate things. Well, yes, a series will do that. And then the other series, which has about the same relevancy and popularity, keep churning out episodes much faster. And then you're set in the dust and it's like, we're here, I promise. Yeah. Looking at you, Invincible. Which we are getting. This year. This year. This fucking year. So, shall we start our talk of Valentine's Day? Oh my god. You want to do this, don't you? I guess. So, you decided to surprise me with a little purchase that you got on Valentine's Day, which was weird. That (laughs) they released it on that day. Oh, I think it is no coincidence whatsoever. This is 
this is a co-op game, it really doesn't work. Like, you can play it single player if you want, but good god, why would you want to? So, I picked up Blanc. A game we talked about in the past. Did we talk about it? We talked about it during an Nintendo Direct. Okay, yeah. We said how it is going to fucking break our hearts, because it is the story of a little wolf and a little deer, a fawn, that are left behind by their families, and they team up together to survive the struggles of... I'm assuming nuclear winter? I don't know. Turns out, this is depicting a real snowstorm that the developers lived through. Oh. Yeah, so it's just a really bad snowstorm. Okay, then. Yep. Happy to get actual clarification on that. So it is, I believe it is somewhere in Scandinavia. Okay. Possibly France, actually. The developers were French, I'm pretty sure. Somewhere in Central Europe. Sure. Yeah, we'll go in that area. Uh, Anyways, yes, adorable little woodland creatures, predator prey by nature, but circumstance has required them to be friends. And they're the best of friends. They are so cute. Oh my god. Yeah, they're hesitant towards each other for like a split second, and then they immediately have to start teaming up to, to overcome obstacles with the deer being able to push things with his head. And jump really high. Yeah, and jump really high. Meanwhile, the wolf can bite it ropes to do various things and squeeze into tight spaces. This game is fantastic. I will point out that there's some reviews that after watching, I can definitely agree that there is some criticism about this game. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to probably agree with you on this and point my big old finger at the giant logo that appeared at the beginning of the game that I did not notice until actually playing the game, but noticing that this was published by Gearbox. Yes. I don't know why. Don't know why, don't know when this happened, because I certainly don't remember that being a thing when it was announced. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of funkiness with some of the gameplay. There's some... Puzzles that just seem like they might just be broken. There are times where the camera angles can get caught on things. And most notably, someone pointed out, is it seems like there's almost an entire segment of the game missing. Yes. Yeah, it it very much feels like you're about to go into this, like, big industrial complex and have a confined, dark level that's supposed to be, like, the point of despair. Journey had one of these, and it felt like they were very clearly taking some some cues from Journey's progression. But then they just sort of skipped that part. And, yeah. yeah, instead, it's, like, a suspiciously long trek across very flat space. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. there's just, there's just this nagging feeling in the back of my mind that Gearbox saw the reactions, and then said they really want this game out now. Quite possibly. But, you know, we're not going to pay for it. Yeah. So, when the credits roll and it's mostly just Gearbox QA testers, and I'm just sitting here and looking at you and going, this feels weird. Yeah. Like, I, I love QA people. You are the best. I don't know how you do your job day after day after day, but I don't feel like Gearbox or any large publisher's QA slots neatly into a small indie t- indie team. No, I don't think so. And yeah, it, it it's sad because like you could tell that this is this feels like it was rushed because there's literally a scene in one of the trailers with 
the fox, or sorry, the wolf that is cuddled up into the fawn. And it ends up being almost like the saving screen logo Mm -hmm. of the game. This scene never happens in the game. So I'm kind of like scratching my head and going, well, how do these, you know, furry friends get to the point where they feel comfortable sleeping and cuddled up next to each other? Yeah, it just it felt it just felt a little wrong. But now that we've shat on it for 10 minutes, I do want to say it was still really fun. It's incredibly fun. And I do agree with Wes here. If you are to play this, please play it with someone else. Because I think that that's the way it's certainly meant to be played. And yeah, it's a little tear jerking at the end. It's, you know, do not worry for the safety of any animals. You should worry for the safety of some animals. All right, fine. But yeah, this is not... The dog doesn't die. Like, it is worth reassuring you of that. Uh, Yeah, I will say that the dog does not die. (laughs) This sounds much more sinister than I thought it would. It it does. Anyways, with that, would you like to talk about something that you spent the entire episode last week fucking talking about? And then, yeah, plowed through it in about three days and it was every bit as magical and amazing as i had hoped for metroid prime remastered on the switch oh my god this was beautiful and i don't have much to say except just like 10 out of 10 perfect game they they you know i guess they've used the exact same code for basically everything and just really upped the fidelity and I, I don't know enough about graphics programming to talk about what specifically they did but they did a lot to make it look better and it is it's gorgeous and exactly as you remember it otherwise yeah uh if you've never played a metroidvania this is the perfect introduction to the series not a metroidvania this is absolutely a metroidvania i guess i guess i think of it in the aspect of it being a 2d side scrolling i don't know if that's a i don't know if that's like an actual requirement like prerequisite okay yeah i mean with with any formula you can be closer or farther from convention and this is definitely farther from convention in that sense but really it's the core of a metroidvania game is how the exploration works like yes you can technically go anywhere you are softly gated by power-ups that you lack and Mm. your goal is to explore the world find the power-ups to help you explore new areas that are almost always found behind bosses there are a lot of secrets and optional things that can make you powered up in ways that don't necessarily help progression yeah those are the core elements the fact that it is all of that and it still works in first-person shooter style without actually becoming a first-person shooter it's it's a fucking miracle that this game was made and that it came out as well as it did. But yeah, 10 out of 10 perfect game, exactly as I remember it. You know, uh, the only thing I would warn people getting into it for the first time is there is a key hunt at the very end of the game uh, that, you know, you'll think like, oh man, I'm finally at the final boss. And then nope. Gotta run around the world and just look for a bunch of crap, which did put me off the first time I played through it. But Not this time. Not this time. I knew where to look for these things in advance, which is possibly a criticism of the genre as a whole. You really only get to play it once the first time. Totally fair. 
And with that, would you like to talk about our recent exploits in another board game night we went to? Sure. Uh, not a lot of high points to talk about here, unfortunately. Yeah. These were, we went to a, another friend of ours' house, actually one of the players for the Hunter game. Uh, we went to go to his place to play some board games. And these were him just getting an opportunity to actually open these board games he's been accruing for years now. And we played three of them. One of which was a card game that I don't even remember what the name of it was. It was basically just Mind Trap, if you're familiar with those, except they're all horror. They're all murders. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they weren't great. <laughs> they were not. Well, I mean, it's Mind Trap, right? Like, the goal isn't to have a lot of sensible stories. The goal is just to have a fuck ton of them and to keep you guessing no matter what. So it's it's very quantity over quality. Sure. And then we also played Kabuto Sumo, which is when we split up into two teams of two, and you basically will push on little pebbles that represent resources and various, what were they? They were like beetle wrestling. Yeah, you'll pick a different species of beetle to play, which have different shaped tokens, shaped like the head of whatever beetle species. And then you are able to get specific abilities for that specific beetle and your goal is to get at least one of the other players player token off and then that team wins yeah it's a a pretty novel board layout and that you have a little wrestling mat that's like six inches across elevated on on cardboard and all of your tokens are on top of it and you have to just gently push one token onto the board at a time on your turn to try and get the other players knocked out yeah. It was a very slow game, slow. surprisingly. Yeah. This had 15 to 20 minutes per round on the box, and I think it was a two-hour game. Maybe not. It, felt it was, like it was about 45 minutes to an hour. It did feel much longer. And yeah, I feel like we were just way more careful in play- pushing our tokens than we were probably expected to be. Which was all for naught, because they basically never went where I expected them to. No, kinetic energy with those things were just... Yeah, no. Yeah. It was not working. It's a fun concept. Uh, not sure this experience made me want to come back to it. Neither did I. But then we also played Hughes and Cues. And this one was difficult. Especially when you're partially colorblind. Yes, yeah. Uh, basically, you have a massive grid of colors uh, on the, the spectrum of like a color wheel. And you draw a card, which tells you what position on the grid you have to get the other players to guess. And depending on how close they can guess, they'll get points. You'll get points based on the number of players that got close to your color. First one to 100 wins. Yeah, and that that is the game. So the, the challenge is figuring out how to describe a color that you see in a way that will guide other players to it. And that was when I learned that my knowledge of cars helped me win, win the night for someone. Yeah, surprisingly. It it did have, like, a phenomenal finish where one player was able to secretly encode a color into a pop culture reference that only one player at the table was able to get. And it was, like, she needed that player to get a point while another player needed to not get a point. And it was beautiful and perfect, a, like, play of the year from our board game experiences, I would say. Yeah, I would say so. 
Except you getting out of catacombs and Clank last time was pretty fucking good. <laughs> that was skin of my tea. Yes. I'm not going to applaud my recklessness compared to that brilliance. I don't even know if she realized she had that kind of brilliance, honestly. Maybe, maybe not. I'm, I'm going to give it to her. That's fair. And moving on to some more Valentine's Day fun, we decided to watch the Harley Quinn Valentine's Day special. This is great. <laughs> oh my god, this is this is incredible. Yeah. I can't believe this was made. Like, ah, uh, just just Harley Quinn in general. They managed to continue to show the most heartfelt love for and utter irreverence towards its source material. And yet again, we're raising the bar on what that looks like here. Yeah. And also giving us a relationship that's not perfect, but feels perfect. I almost want to start questioning whether or not Harley is actually growing, or if she's just making the same mistakes over and over and over again. But I'm having so damn much fun with this series that I don't care. Yeah, I think that's that's what that's what TV shows want you to think. Like, you know, they, it feels like people strum up drama for no fucking reason. And, you know, it just gets out of fucking control sometimes. Yeah. But in this time, it's like, you know, these characters, we like to see them fuck up and it's nice. Yeah. And so the premise, I suppose, of this episode is Harley is trying to give Poison Ivy the best Valentine's Day ever. Not just the best Valentine's Day that Ivy's had, just flat out best Valentine's ever. Yes. And hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue. Everyone is also trying to have a good Thanksgiving. Or Valentine's sure. Day. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Yes. Someone was cer- certainly basting a t- chicken at one po- or turkey at one point. Oh my god, I'm tired. I'm trying to remember the turkey. I wasn't talking a little oh, turkey. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Good Bane episode as well. Like, outside of our main cast, it's probably his story. I need to have a conversation <laughs> with, with the writers. The writers. I I need to have a conversation and, and you possibly, do not need to go near them. Kendall um, at dinner with the writers. Yeah, they're. I I see you. I see you. I see you writing, and I see the same people that wrote for early '90s kids television shows, and I'm saying that in an emphasis that would emanate the idea of quoting, yes. because. I know what you're doing here. I see the writing on the wall. I see the writing on that paper. I see your macro fetishist. Yes. Y'all are my kind of perverts, and I love it. At least it's not in intended for children television at this point. Sure. In this instance. That's, that's also fair. Why didn't they show the dong, then? That's a good question. Um, I think that would have... That would have definitely shifted the tone into porn, and we're still trying to have fun. Okay, you don't want Bane Dick? I guess, why not? Oh, I want Bane Dick, but I will go to one of my specialized websites for that. Well, who is this specialized website? Do they sponsor us? Why can't you mention them, Wesley? Good question. Anyways, uh, would you like to talk about our last love story? Oh, I could talk about it all night long, honestly. 
Well, good thing, because it's a much shorter news segment. So we could talk about this as long as you want. Okay. But right on Super Bowl Sunday, when no one was fucking around, we decided to go to Broadway because Wesley got us tickets to go see a show for Christmas. That show in particular was a tragedy. It was a song about love. It was Town. Yep. Wesley. What did you I think? I was blown away. <laughs> it was so good. It, oh gosh. Where to begin? What it's about. What it's about. So it's a retelling of the story of Orpheus and Eurydice from Greek mythology in sort of a industrial revolution. No, I, I don't even know the time period. I want to say like... Industrial turn, revolution is about the time period. Turn of the century America... Um, Almost New Orleans vibe, definitely New Orleans yeah. vibe, especially to the the music, Dust Bowl era. Yeah, you know, it, it's such a specific, almost Great Depression too. Yeah, it it is such a specific tone and setting that has nothing to do with Greek mythology. But that's the thing is, you don't, you don't. It does not matter the aesthetics. What matters is the story we're telling, right? Which is really about two couples that are. That at least the men are sort of reflections of each other. To a degree, yes. To a degree, and that, that gets explored thoroughly. Our protagonist, Orpheus, a love-struck muse, working on a song that's gonna save the world. And to that, I immediately rolled my eyes in the crowd and went, Oh my fucking god, another fucking poet. But, you know, this is a world of Greek mythology, where you can be the son of a god and have it so that your music actually can save the world <laughs> like it's not fucking christian in moulin rouge who's apparently going to save the world with his music which really just means like what 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 is your song about love going to do to change the world it's gonna make a starry-eyed matthew scream from the rooftops and wish that he was <sighs> Ewan mcgregor oh god then like Fucking Rogers, you know, we don't talk glorious about one song going to change the world and somehow overcome AIDS com- complications. Wasn't it called One Song Glory too, or was that just a song? That he was sang? just a song. Okay, yeah, I don't remember what his song was called. I don't know. I all I remember uh, was me, me, and oh then boy. she she lived, and then yes. she lived. Yes, his music literally cured AIDS. Yes, for a bit. Um, <laughs> but but anyways, yes, Orpheus, son of Apollo and Calliope, his music actually can change the world, and his goal is to bring spring back, and that really endears him to a hungry young girl, as she is repeatedly described, Eurydice. And this is in a time where there is no fall or spring, it just seems to be the very harsh transition from summer to winter. Yes, which is brought by the folktale of Persephone being allowed to return to, from the underworld to, we call it, I guess we call it the overworld at this point. The Greek myth actually really states that this happens because her mother Demeter, who is actually the person that controls Mother Nature in the seasons, um, feels warmth and happiness that her daughter has come to visit for summer. And then when she's taken back down for winter, that's when it gets cold again because of her cold wrath. Yes. Yeah. 
Demeter, you know, none of the gods apart from our main three are really mentioned. May not even exist in this version of the story. Technically four, if you want to count the fates. I don't think the fates are gods. They do mention... They do mention the fates, at least in the line of gods. Okay, sure. In the opening song. So yes, we also do have Hermes, our narrator, and guide for Orpheus. But yeah, uh, so that's that's roughly the premise. Uh, music, that sort of jazzy New Orleans vibe. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. There's no orchestra. The band are all on stage. I will also say, for our performance, we did have the wonderful... Lelias White, who voiced Calliope in the Hercules movie, playing Hermes in our performance. So there was a lot of, like, I don't know how to say this, layers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, great, great little bit of nostalgia. And the actress just fucking killed it. Yeah, no, she was phenomenal. Typically, Hermes is played by Andre de Shields, which I assume he was just taking a break from the role. Yeah, we, we did not look up if he's been, like retired from it permanently replaced or was just taking a break hard to say and patrick page who was hades at one point is no longer playing hades yeah but but our hades was very good and persephone also different from the original cast different from the original but originally the current persephone was one of the fates oh right right, blackman was her name yes very good and then otherwise, it's pretty much the same cast. Like, Reeve Carey is still... Orpheus. Orpheus. Eva, and I'm going to butcher her last name if I try it. I think it's Noblezada. Noblezada is still Eurydice's. And, yeah, they're fucking incredible. Yeah, this whole show, I it made me think about death in a very interesting way. And specifically how you really don't die one time. You do suffer countless small deaths over the entire course of your life as your innocence dies your relationships die your trust in the world dies you physically die your memories slowly die there's it's just such a continuous spectrum of depression now wesley this is not a show about death it is not a show about death. that's the other one the other one yeah the other one does speak to the the final death but this is much more uh, abstract about the smaller ways that we die over the course of our life but yeah um this is a story the show itself is an incredible story about just a very small um i'm gonna butcher her name as well but i believe is uh anita the initially conceived of hades town it was just a small concept album initially and they came out and started touring the country, playing the songs, and then eventually they did a workshop in New York, and it was had some conflicting back and forth about where they wanted to take this with a Broadway musical, and then they eventually took it over to London, performed it a little bit there, changed it to the smallest of degrees, but also still kept the same... There was this beautiful balance of, like, Keeping the same meaning and the original vision of the artist, but also giving into the need to be relatable and, you know, to a degree, almost uh, mainstream for an audience to grasp as well. Yeah, this show, so it was 13 years between the original concept album and its debut on Broadway in New York. 
And it evolved in so many directions and in so many ways and so profoundly over that time without without losing itself, with only becoming better versions of itself at each step, which is just amazing to think about. Yes. You know, like a creator, any person would evolve themselves over the course of their lives to still find meanings in the same same stories and just still want to be attached to this one thing. It God, it's a beautiful story of this production. Yeah, I, I really, I don't know what else to say about it other than the music's phenomenal. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen to it, I would probably recommend you go and see this blind because, God, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I pretty much had only known one song, maybe. I've listened to this, the album one time through and really had not known the songs by heart by the time I went to go see it. But man, was it, it just, it was like witnessing something with such gravitas and presence that I was blown away by it. Yeah. So yeah, if you are willing to, <laughs> just go on down to Hadestown. And hopefully it tours near you at some point, but... I, I don't know if it's touring, okay. but at least as far as I don't, like it's on Broadway right now. Yeah, yeah. So if you can, definitely see it. Yes. And with that, we like to go to our tabletop update. Sure. So Waters of Erebus, the My Werewolf the Apocalypse campaign, had its 31st, 32nd session last week. Stop catching up to me like this. I know, right? So we dealt with the fallout of uh, leadership not changing within the Sept, but uh, several challengers being felled or put into place or bargained with. And... Yes, one of the longest plot threads my players were finally able to find the time to investigate, learning that uh, one of their old contacts is perhaps more and perhaps less of an ally than they thought at the same time. But they caught him in a meeting with what should be considered an enemy, uh, somebody working for the, the big bad corporation of this world, Pentex, and uh, found that he's actually trying to do some good from within in his own indirect way. Oh, you poor child. Yes, 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 yes. But I don't know. Uh, there's not a lot to say that I don't want to spoil here, but we're going into a big time jump, and the timing is actually kind of unfortunate that uh, I am just unavailable to do one-on-ones as I needed to. So I need to figure out something for next week and to, to sort of not necessarily be filler, but you could to... just do the one-on-ones then. I could. That, like, that is an option. Yes. Round Robin. Well, now you like spend half the session doing that. And then the other half of the session, basically reorienting them into the universe. Yeah, that, that might be the way to go about it. I'll, I'll have to play around with that. On the other side of the country, yes, my coterie in Philadelphia found themselves waking up in a escape room that they thought was being run by one of the uh, nemeses of theirs, and they were split into two groups, which Magnolia and Celeste, if people remember, were having a bit of a tough because Celeste murdered the uh, father of Magnolia's boyfriend, and then Artie and Eddie were locked into another room. Basically, this session was the escape room session, where I threw them into an escape room together, and they all decided to work with each other to get out of the escape room and discover that it was a test from a changeling that has been invested in their story. 
this was uh, one individual named Mr. Rose that had sponsored them in the past by helping them with having some blood that helped them during the final fight of the first arc. And he had decided to test their resolve and see if they were still the heroes of the story that he had perceived them to be. Because he is a man that is, well, he is a fae that is in- interested in good storytelling. And can see their story and see that it has great potential. And that was my session. Yeah. It's it's always good to throw together a puzzle room that is nicely time boxed rather than trying to fit it into the world of darkness because puzzles are great fun from time to time but it gets harder and harder to justify why you know this eccentric billionaire has built another series of puzzles into his estate or you know you get really convoluted quickly or when you know there are superpowered vampires that have powers that might be able to break through shit yeah so my biggest thing was i had to look at their character sheets and say okay these are the things they can do. These are the things I have to make sure I can limit them from doing. These are the things that should probably be the key to the lock to move them forward. Yeah. So, that was my session. Simple and clean, just like that game. <laughs> yes, exactly like that. And uh, finally, we're just going to talk about one thing in the current events, because I can't be bothered to research anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it feels like it's been a little bit of a slow news cycle. It has. There's been some recent developments with a story that I'm really not comfortable with talking about at the moment. Right, yes. That might pertain to a product that we have purchased in the past, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Hopefully it's nothing. Could just be nothing. Hopefully it's nothing. Could be just nothing. But the last we had heard about it was they are getting police involved with that situation. So we'll see. But yes, Marvel is apparently in the business of spreading out their movies and television shows. Thank fucking God. That's a nice way of saying shit got delayed. I would say superhero fatigue is a big topic in the in the threads, if you would. True, yeah. And, you know, there's no way that Kevin Feige and the team doesn't see these comments being made about, man, you know, I'm really feeling that fatigue, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, two of Marvel's worst movies have come out in the last year. Worst reviewed, at least. Are they, though? Like, yeah. Thor the Dark World is still out there. Sure. I just said two of their worst. Oh. Like, not their two very worst, but still, they've had two misfires in a year with in a series that's been going on hits for, like, over a decade. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not convinced this is the exact answer. I think the answer is a bit more... You need to change the formula, and you don't need to change it by adding post-credit scenes that literally mean nothing. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't... We'll see what happens. But, hey, with that, we're at the end of an episode, folks! Aw, I'm sad about that. Are you? I would like to keep talking all night. Would you? No. No, I'll leave not. you. I'll leave you right here, and I'll edit it all out. <laughs> I will go in my corner and just talk to myself like I normally do. Oh, that sounds right. Anyways, my name is Matt. And I am Wes. He is the one in the corner. Yes. We love you very much. Thank, Thank you, you for so much for listening. Listening. And we will talk to you very soon. Yep. Bye. Bye.